You're listening to the Entrepreneur's Agony Aunt podcast. Keeping it real, telling the story like it is, because there are no mistakes that somebody else hasn't already made. Hello, I'm Vicky Brock, and you're listening to the Entrepreneur Agony Aunt podcast. My guest this week is Joel Blake, OBE for his services to business support and enterprise. Joel is founder and CEO of financial technology startup Felix, a multi-award winning entrepreneur and facilitator and MD of Cultivate Solutions, where he consults on diversity, strategy, talent management and social impact. So welcome to the Agony on Chair, Joel. Thank you. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you here. I've got one question for us this week because um, it's a really big question. People have written entire books on this subject, so I figured well, I'd just keep us down to one question, and it is this. We are deliberating whether or not we should pre-launch our concept through Facebook, Instagram, to gauge and hopefully gain initial traction. Our main concern is compromise of the idea. Does fortune favour the brave? Although I've read a great deal, and I find myself no wiser, I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts around putting a pre-developed idea out in the public domain. I know both of us have got thoughts on this, and I can't wait to get stuck into it. But first, Joel, perhaps you can tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to becoming an entrepreneur. Wow, wow. What an amazing question. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> mind-blowing, isn't it? Yeah. But, you know, thank you very much for the opportunity to, to speak with you today. And My name's Joel Blake, as you said, and... Vicky, I've spent the last 15 years of my life just trying to and just making sure that I live by my passion. My passion is for developing people and helping people to maximise their potential regardless of any difference that they have. And that for me started out from when I was 16, working in a factory in Birmingham, being, I guess, a, a stereotype of what people thought I would be in terms of where I grew up and the environment that I was in and the conditioning that everyone else had at the time. And it was through those lessons of growing up in such environments and then having ambition and having a drive and having a goal to better yourself in the best way you can. That's really spurred me on to some of the things I've done in the past and humbly great things that have happened along the way, but also the negatives and the lows and the things that people don't often talk about, which give you the, the resilience and the character moving forward. So my journey has been one as entrepreneur leadership, where I believe entrepreneurship is about the mindset first. To me, entrepreneurship actually has nothing to do with the business to a point. It's to do with how you conduct and drive yourself, how you see opportunities to grow and develop and learn. That's a, a philosophy I've taken into all aspects of Yeah, and I think life. that's so interesting because I look at entrepreneurism as well as it's an opportunistic mindset. Whilst there are people that come into entrepreneurism because they have come from families of entrepreneurs and they've seen it all their life, there's other people that you mentioned there, and this is certainly my background. I come from r- rural Norfolk. Nobody in my family had ever been to university. I didn't know anybody in business. But I just had this opportunistic, bloody-mindedness. Mm. And I was kind of kick the world up the arse somehow. I wasn't quite sure how, and I'm still not quite sure how. It's just this drive thing. So the question has a wonderful phrase, does fortune favour the brave? I think it absolutely does, but I think there's certain caveats to that as well i think bravery in some people's mind is not of a choice in other people's and i think 
the fortune in that sense for me is it's not even financial the fortune is the cliche being the riches of life that you get along the way it's the little insights it's the relationships that you create and build it's the networks that you build around you and that you can also build yourself it's the it's the ability for someone to see something in you that you didn't see in yourself and opens up opportunity so i think fortune absolutely but You've got to be very wary of whether the fortune is something that you've created or the situation has created for yeah. you. But I think bravery is absolutely right. It's it's a decision. It's the it's the courageousness to step forward with that decision. But for some people that don't have to make those decisions, with others, there's no other choice. But it's down to choice at the end of the day as the individual person, what you're going to do. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because fortune and brave are one way of looking at it. But opportunity and serendipity is another. If you're out and you're open, open of mind, open of heart, I know that sounds very emotional, but I am a very emotional person. Mm. (laughs) I suspect perhaps you are too. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, if your heart is open and your mind is open Mm. to opportunity, you find it everywhere and people... Absolutely. Come to you. And I suppose this idea of to shout or not to shout, to reveal your idea or not to reveal your idea, it can be looked at as a question of bravery, or it could be looked at as a question of trust in yourself and trust in other people. I think it's important to share your idea. But as you know, more than anyone else, Vicky, it's about who's going to execute first. Sharing the idea gives you the opportunity to build those relationships, to build that tribe, to build the awareness and therefore creating opportunities that can help that idea to evolve, grow and and mature. But at the same time, it depends on how much you want to divulge. I mean, do you give the real secret source of what you're doing or do you share the purpose of what you're doing? And do you try and bring people on board? because of the real purpose behind the business rather than the mechanics of the business itself. I mean, I've always felt that business of, I'm on, this is my sixth startup today. And with all the challenges I've had with those businesses, I've always shared the ideas because I've always been limited by what I know. Yeah. I'm limited by my range of information. I'm limited by my range of influence. And you, when you share an idea, you'd be amazed about where the, the gems of inspiration and insight come from because you're limited by your own perception and understanding. So I think sharing is important, but it's what you share, how much and when. Definitely. I mean, the last thing you want to be sharing is your secret source. You you don't want to be giving somebody else a blueprint to copy you. But I think people overestimate the risk of being ripped off with a big caveat. If you are working in a a hardcore intellectual property science in a really valuable IP where you're going to make the money on the patent, not on the idea. Mm. That's a whole different ball game. But mostly I think there aren't many business ideas somebody hasn't already had. And most things are a shade of something else. Yeah, agreed. And that's okay because it's not the idea that's the valuable thing. It's the execution of the idea. And I'm kind of like one of those annoying people who has 25 impossible <laughs> ideas before breakfast. And seriously, if, if I got everybody signing an NDA about every idea I had, like we'd be building tower blocks out of our NDAs around here. I don't bother with ending these. But then here's the thing, though, Vicky. If you look historically, the greatest inventions in the world, the greatest things that have been created in the world have come from an idea. But it's never been the original idea. It's always been an evolution of the idea through deliberation, through collaboration, through conversation. 
Exactly. I mean, have you had any ideas that turned into a business that started as something completely different, where it's kind of gone through a couple of iterations and what popped out at the end was completely different to what started in your head? Yeah. When I was 21, I was working as an employment mentor um, with the youth service here in Birmingham. And then I had the idea of basically developing my own kind of mentored workshops and working in local schools. And so, you know, I bought myself a a laminator and made my own business cards and created my own brochure on I think it was publisher Microsoft publisher at the time what have you and I went out there and I was like yeah I'm going to be the mentor for kids at risk of exclusion in school that was the idea and I was going to develop it out and work in loads of schools but I think it was the second or third school that I started working with they already had mentors in the school And what I was bringing was my understanding of working with kids from challenging backgrounds versus the school really trying to work with the gifted and talented. And then what we realized is that there's an opportunity to create a bigger program by partnering together. And that's what we did. And we raised some funding and my business became part of this new this new collaboration of things, which then changed the whole market. We started talking to businesses who wanted to recruit people into the workplace young people into the workplace but also wanted to add more social impact so we started creating almost like a cradle to graves type of service now i didn't think my business was worthy of doing collaborations with somebody else i just wanted to do my little niche because that's what i was passionate about and that business morphed into recruitment service i'm not from a recruitment background Yet we launched one of the first diversity recruitment services in the UK, and that was marginally successful. So, you know, things happen through serendipity, as you said earlier, and free evolution. But for me, you have to be very clear on what the purpose is, and then how it manifests and how it develops and grows will be how it manifests and develops and grows. That's how I look at it. Yeah. That's quite an organic approach. And I think that often it, it winds up that way. I quite like, especially the more companies I've done, I'm much more systematic and process-driven about it now than I was at the beginning. Yeah, I agree. But my, my last company, I originally had this vision that I wanted to make perfect fitting trousers. <laughs> and I like, bought all these domain names. I've still got, I have hundreds and hundreds of domain names. It's completely ridiculous. Every time an idea sticks in my head, I buy the domain name. <laughs> Sometimes my credit card bill has like hundreds of pounds because these random domain names auto, auto renewed. But um, I had this vision that I wanted my trousers to fit perfectly. Uh-huh. And then I built a little test site, just like the person's talking about here. I built a little blog and it had got a size guide, and you put your measurements in, it would look up a database, or just like a spreadsheet of uh, that I'd made out of all the store's size guides, and it would tell you which one to buy. But I learned on that 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 didn't work. Mm-hmm. That entire concept didn't work. And people were like half okay-ish about the idea, but nobody else was as excited as me about it. <laughs> but what I did find, yeah, what I did find interesting was I started talking to a few retailers who were selling these imperfect fitting trousers and um, they were like oh we have such a big problem with returns and you're a data person could you help us fix that problem and you know I ended up doing my last company raising a lot of investment winning a lot of lovely prizes having a lot of customers from an idea that wasn't my idea that came from the market I just wanted to make my bum look slightly less big in my trousers um, (laughs) was where that originally came from that whole thing of getting something quick and dirty and cheap out there on the whole I think is a good idea if you are uh, asking the right people for feedback 
you are listening to the feedback and then you're executing on it. And that's no easy thing. Presumably, I guess you guys know this better than anybody in the environment that you work in. If you're talking to an echo chamber, you're going to hear what you want to hear and you're going to hear what you already think. Exactly. No, that's a really great point, Vicky, because in my my previous business, you know, we were finance services company and, and helping people start businesses. And my passion has always been mentoring and development and trying to develop the people behind the business. And that was kind of my role. And it was through conversations with those businesses, as well as looking at my own experiences of managing finance as an entrepreneur and the ups and downs of that and the impact it was having on family, you know, with the highs and lows of all that journey. It kind of brought out the problem that we that we're now solving for our software. But if we if I didn't go for that experience and not marry the passion and the drive I had for wanting to help people, which was a very intangible aspect of what we were doing though very important it was very intangible in terms of the business that we were running but then linking that passion with the ins and outs and the actual system of that business and that then realized the problem if I didn't do that or if we didn't do that as an organization sorry I wouldn't have identified a way in which we could solve that problem and so yeah I think organically things happen but it starts from a place where you're happy to share the passion for what you're doing and you're happy to share that purpose but you've got to be very clear about well I suppose you're gonna you're gonna have a filter because not everything that you get in is what you need you gotta have a filter in terms of what information do you need and what can you use what's not relevant now what do you put in your little black book until you need it and just really start working on the phase that you're in and then elevating to the next level when the right time's right with the right information and so forth and you keep growing but I've got a a thing around sponges (laughs) (laughs) Tell me more about your sponges, Joe. Well, I got a thing around sponges where, as a you know, a sponge is where you soak up everything and then you wring out what you don't need, but you're still left with this kind of heaviness of stuff. And that's what I believe as entrepreneurs we need to be able to do. It's the ability to soak up all the education of things that people tell you, things that you research, things that you see, but be also be willing to get rid of all half of that stuff if you don't need it as well, because not everything that you hear or experience or someone else tells you is what you actually need right now in that moment, but you're still left with this residue of stuff you could use. And that's really interesting because that's where I think experience, your gut, your instinct, your resilience comes into play. You don't have them at 21. You don't have them on your first business. And I almost think that's why you've got to get on, try, fail, try, fail, try and fail slightly less and, 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 and keep going, testing and learning. As entrepreneurs, how many of us are really, really comfortable in embracing our own vulnerabilities? And I mean comfortable with that. I'm not saying, oh, I know I'm not good at that and I'll find a way. I mean, like when it hits you emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and it affects how it affects who you are and it affects the decisions that you're going to make for the future, how open are we to continue to do that? And in fact, embrace the challenges that force us to embrace those vulnerabilities. That's a hard thing to do. And it's it's the maturity, as you've quite rightly said, over time where you become a little bit more strong and a bit more comfortable about doing that. Because when it's all said and done and you take the glitz and glamour off this journey, yeah. it's the hardest thing you can do because it changes you. Entrepreneurship changes you at your fundamental core. And how open are we to be to be changed and to be willing to be changed? And hmm. that's a question that you don't really, you can't really answer that until you're actually in the trenches. It's one of the reasons I started the podcast, because obviously I was blogging first. 
I started this podcast exactly mm-hmm. like the person in the questions talking about. I put out on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter that I was going to do it. I set to myself the metric that if it gets 200 likes, I actually will. And if like nobody takes any notice of it, then I won't bother. Um, so that was kind of a little test. But I did that because people had started saying to me from the blog, wow, you're saying all the things and you're talking about all the things I would like to talk about and I wish somebody would talk about, but I can't because I'll get fired. Or, you know, I can't because what will my investors think or what will my staff think if I say I'm having a really difficult time with this and I'm struggling to cope? Thank you for saying it. And I thought, actually, that's really important because the stress of this, the, some of the dark places you get to are not what you read. You and your wonderful OBE, mm. which is a great thing. And I'm super proud you have that. I'm sure you're super proud that you have that. But you win these awards and I'm proud of them. But I feel like they're such an inaccurate reflection, A, of what I've done and the experience I've learned in that. Yeah, you know, such an important thing. It's funny because just personally for myself, the OB, absolutely amazing. I mean, to be recognised for your country for just living by your passion is amazing. But it's a recognition of a moment in time. And it's a recognition of what where you've been and what you've been doing to a particular point. But it doesn't really, really even touch the surface of all the things that you've had to go through, all the tears, the, the bills, the... Oh, gosh. I mean, you know this journey. It doesn't really, really dive into all the things that people don't see. I mean, it's nice for people to see those things and and, and respect you for that. And that's all great. But if you're a real person and you're an honest person and you're a straightforward person, it's not about those things. It's absolutely about the drive and the dark days and those dark nights, you know, when you can't pay your bills, you're, you're juggling, yeah. robbing Peter to pay Paul, to pay Sally, to pay Jane, to pay. It's, it's that, that's what this is all about. Having the ability to talk about that, you know, it's amazing. That's why this is a great podcast. And that's why it's actually, I think, really important that you're following a vision, not a delusion. And that's why I kind of like testing the idea out and seeing if people other than you believe in it mm. is super important at the beginning. So I wish this was an original idea in any way, shape or form, but it's not. But you know, the difference between an, a vision and delusion is a vision other people share and delusion, you're seeing it on your own. I think if you're five years into a business idea and still you're the only one that can see it, that might not be the best use of the next five years of your time. Agreed. Not in that form. And I think that's why like floating something tangible out there that gets feedback from the people that matter as in the people that are most likely to represent your target customer is a way of going does this idea deserve to live another month does this idea deserve to live another six months do it does this idea deserve a little bit of money and time and a bit of my life behind it to explore it further i agree i think the time that we're in now with technology social media instant interactions and communication Every business is actually operating within a living research and development department. <laughs> you know, you know every, every idea that you have, you can validate that quicker than ever before. Whereas historically, you might have wanted to go and raise the resources to bring it to market, put heavy heavy amount of resource into it, and then you find out it's not going to work. It's about being selective, as you quite rightly said. Who are you actually sharing this idea with? So your Instagram account or your Facebook account is it a tribe of the types of people who are going to give you the types of feedback that you need? Or is it the feedback that you want? 
And those are two very separate things. Oh, they are, yeah. But, but if you harness the right environment for that feedback, that itself will save you hundreds, thousands, and maybe in some cases even millions of pounds in wasted time, resources, uh, etc. So it's about just being selective, but not being fearful about sharing that idea, but just understanding that we're living in a time where you don't have to do it all by yourself, but you've just got to be very measured and very systematic about what you're doing, why you're doing it, and more importantly, what you're going to do with the insight when you when you get that back, i.e. you said 200 likes for your podcast, you had a very clear metric, you had a very clear decision-making process that you've got to go through and a very clear decision you're going to make based on the results that you get. It's about being that systematic. That's completely true. I mean, it's fine pre-launching this concept, but you need to know it's an experiment. An experiment that you will learn something at the end. So to make that correct, you need to have defined your question. You know, what is it I am hoping to learn? What do I need to put up to find that out? Who do I need to send that to? And where is the best place I will find these people? And how am I planning to capture and look at the information that I get in order to work with that? There's loads of tools. It could be as simple as a Google form, but it could be like a launch rock page, or I tend to like throw up, depending on what it is, I tend to throw up a quick website on Wix or something like that that costs me just a couple of quid and I can have it up and built in the day. Mm. Those kind of things, there's kind of no excuse not to test now because it's just super quick and easy. I think sometimes we put our emotions on top of the logic when it comes to sharing our yeah. ideas because because you're quite right, it's easy to create a quick Wix, a quick blog, quick landing page and, and get testing. But then we automatically start thinking, and I know I've done this myself, where you think, okay, I can still put a test website, but it still looks really shitty. And so, oh my gosh, that's going to look bad on my brand. It's going to look bad on my business before I've even started. What are people going to think? Quite frankly, people don't care. What they care is that your solution can meet their yeah. needs. You're, 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 the aesthetics and the design and the look and feel would always change. It has to evolve as you evolve, but does it really solve a problem? And that being a solution to a problem, for me, that like that's the critical thing. I think it's so sad to spend, so, you see so many companies, I mean, I've done a lot of judging this year, or edge prize judge and bits and pieces like that. And I've seen people uh-huh. pitching, pitching for a lot of money, pitching for something that will change their lives. And they are a, their solution in search of a problem. They believe in this idea, but they just haven't taken the steps to prove that anybody else genuinely cares. And I think that is really easy to fall into because you love this thing. You fall in love with an idea and you don't want to get people putting pins in it and breaking your bubble, especially if you're an optimistic, you know, positive person. You don't want somebody kicking you into the depth of negativity But at the same time, you have got to expose it to find out if this just a better one will come along tomorrow. This is exactly, and that's the the, the vulnerability piece. You have to expose it, expose yourself, but be willing to stand up for what you believe in as well. Because some people might just want to put a pin in it because their own internal turmoil or conflict and and you will, you don't know that, but you take that on board as if it's yeah. your problem and it's and it's you. And so that then stops you making the decisions that you need to make or the things that you need to do. And it becomes such a cycle then because you're not really filtering. You're just absorbing and doing. There's a balance between all of that. You, you've got to be willing to say, 
this is the marker and this is what I'm willing to accept or not accept, but also this is the flex and bend that I'm willing to put in and this is what will happen if I do that. And, it, you know, you've really got to be very clear about the whys and what fors. I mean, yeah. I think it was Tony Robbins who came up with this really great model around this whole thing around results and purpose and then mapping. And then I think it's RPM, he calls it, where we ask ourselves the wrong questions often. What is it that I want is the real question, but sometimes we ask every single question but that. And if you don't know what you want, if you don't know what the outcome is, then everything else is irrelevant. <laughs> if you're not very clear what the outcome is, then... It's a really profound point because... When this person said, oh, they've read a great deal about this, what instantly mm. sprang to mind for me was the lean startup because everybody talks about mm. that, getting your minimal viable product out there. I actually prefer, no offense to Eric Reese, but time has moved on and I really like Bill Owlett's book, which is the 24 Steps of Disciplined Entrepreneurship Workbook. The workbook like has got all these sheets that – you go through and you define your market segments and then you do interviews with people and you map it all out. But I kind of now keep a special box. If my idea has made it past about five stages and I still care and I still want to do it, I've got a little group that <laughs> I, like I call that. my enemies and, enemies and critics. It's like if it's got so far along the process, yeah, I'm going to expose it to one of these enemies or critics or two and just see what really annoys them about it. Because yeah, yeah. that's valuable information. I think you've got to have done this a few times and have a bit of a resilient hide to deliberately seek out your enemies because they can burst that bubble. I mean, see, I come in from a tech point. You've mm. done a lot of social impact stuff. Is there a process now that you use as you go through and validate stuff? Yeah, so I, I have a what I call a grit model. So grassroots to ivory towers is effectively what it stands for. Um, and it's a model which enables me to be very clear on the, I guess, the, the emotional starting point and then takes me through a whole process of re-evaluating myself, evaluating opportunity, getting through that validation stage and then being very, very clear on what is it that I'm going to do, how I'm going to do it, what the results look like. And it's a 12-step process that I kind of take myself. And at any point, I could jump in and out of it. But it starts off by clarifying the vision, having a very, very clear view on what the outcome look, looks like. But when I say clarify the vision, I don't mean I want to be a doctor and that's it. I mean, I want to be a doctor that specializes in heart surgery for young people age under the, under the age of 10. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it really goes into that clarity. If I don't get that feeling when I think about something and why I want to do something, then I won't, I won't go any further than that. Yeah, you've got to fall in love with it. Yeah, if I'm not emotionally committed to that vision of what I'm trying to create and achieve, I'm not interested because it's that feeling that's going to get me up every single morning when it's grey and it's raining and it's hurricane-like outside. That's the thing that's going to make me jump out of bed and run outside naked. <laughs> now, I don't do that for the record. But <laughs> but do you know what I mean? It's that, that fearlessness and that drive where it doesn't matter what the challenge is. I'm having it. I'm, I'm at it. I'm running at it head on because I feel it. And then after that, I then go into kind of embracing the fear, which is the vulnerability. So why... Why are these barriers here? How do I feel about those barriers? Then I walk into things like commitment to language and things like that. So there's a whole process that I try and take myself through, but it starts with the starts with the individual congruence mm -hmm. with the actual thought itself. Am I connected to this at all levels? And then I start the process from there in terms of bringing it to life. And it's funny because I, when I came out of my last company, 
I uh, did what I now know has a name and it's called a rebound startup. <laughs> Just really funny because I was so afraid <laughs> that I was broken, if that makes sense. And I was too scared to do it again. Yeah. I was so afraid I was too scared to do it again and get hurt. Yeah. But I felt like I needed to leap back on the horse straight away. I was very lucky because you, did you go into Entrepreneurial Spark? Yeah, so Felix was actually, gave, I gave birth to the idea in, in Entrepreneurial Spark. My last company I did in Entrepreneurial Spark. So this time I got in touch with them. I told them what had happened and I kind of said, like, I haven't got an idea yet. Can I come back mm-hmm. in? I think of one. <laughs> and I actually tried to do the systematic process mm-hmm. of an idea without my heart in it. I mapped out a grid of, I mean, a few investors were calling me and going, what are you working on next? And I'm like, I've no idea. And they're like, well, we're into drone insurance or we're into this. And I'd, I'd, I'd written a list of logical things mm-hmm. that my next startup could be. And, and I explored them logically. And every one of them I crossed off. Now, the one that I probably will do next was never on that list. And mm-hmm, it came mm-hmm. out of me having then got to a calm place where I could find something that I cared about. And it was like a feeling, it was a criteria of, well, whatever I do has got to use what I'm really good at for a good purpose in this area. Mm. And it came from there and it came from my heart, not from my head. And it's interesting that you take that as a starting place as well. When you go through the mill and in a negative sense, you have people questioning who you are, questioning your credibility. You start thinking, are they right? Is it me? Oh, yeah. Oh, God, that one failed. Oh, oh dear. Okay, this one ain't going too well. Oh, okay, we've got a good... Oh, they're paid. Great. We must be in good in business. Oh, okay. Mm. And you start going for this roller coaster of all these situations and circumstances. <laughs> you get to a point where you don't care anymore. And when I say you don't care, it, it means you don't... You learn to tune out what people are saying and indeed what the situation is saying are really homing on the truth and the truth is sometimes good sometimes bad but you accept and you get liberated by the fact that you're dealing from a place of truth even with Felix I'm not from a strict technology background I've always had an interest in it but I'm not from a technology background this you know Felix has been my my first ever technology business but what I was able to do with the approach I've taken to Felix is bring together all the experience of all the ones previously and really home in on how do I really systemize my experience to make this one really work in the way that I want to without losing my own authenticity and purpose within it. Because when you've always operated from a place of, I guess, emotion, and then you're now moving into a place of systemizing and especially when it's a new business and a new market that you've never been in. There's some power when you can learn how to bring those two things together. But often you start from two separate positions. Yeah. Um, and I had to really learn how to really accelerate the reduction of that gap to get myself oneness, if you like, to then be able to execute on it. And, and it took the experiences and the maturity and the checking yourself and really homing in on the reasons why and who you are to be able to do that fast enough to be able to raise investment and bring and bring it to market as we're doing this year. So it's a whole wonderful journey, but you, you've got to really know you know yourself. It's, about, it's very interesting because I think what you're describing there is a process of becoming deliberate, becoming deliberate in your execution. For me, the ideas are easy. The idea and the vision and, and even selling that vision to other people, from people who want to work with me to people who want to buy from me, I'm good at that bit. That bit I have nailed. 
but the deliberation of the execution, especially when it comes to tech, and this is something the person asking the question needs to think about as much as anything, you're testing your own ability to execute in a systematic manner becomes important because otherwise you waste a huge amount of time going down cul-de-sacs, hiring the wrong people, trying stuff that doesn't work. And it's fine to iterate and iterate, but you know that costs time and it costs money. And realistically, you probably don't have either. So that level of disciplined, disciplined deliberation is important. <laughs> it's so I'm laughing because as a business, it's taken us two and a half years to get to a point where we've We've got something that people want, like, and we can now go to market with. But that systemizing of deliberate execution, we're actually going to market with a fifth, fourth and a half version <laughs> of what we first created. Yeah, that's the tough bit about tech. Um, but it's cost us, cost us, it's cost us about 10% of the original investment that we put in the very first idea. And so we've spent more than we've needed to get to a something that's actually what people want. But we've been able to do that by not being afraid to keep executing. The idea itself has iterated quite a lot, to be honest with you. But the, the core purpose of why we're doing what we're doing has remained the same. But I guess the jacket that it's now wearing is a different jacket. It's a different type of approach that we've taken, but the purpose has still been the same. That being said, if it was the team, you know, if we didn't have the right team, challenging each other, challenging me, getting the feedback from our, our clients, etc. We wouldn't be in a position where we could do what we're doing. So it's 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 just such an interesting, interesting journey. But yeah, the deliberate execution is important. If you're not physically and consciously putting yourself in a position of executing, you'll never learn fast enough, quick enough, and efficiently enough to really bring together and to deliver the very thing that you want to do. I think for me, entrepreneurial leadership is, is important and it's key, but you have to define your, your own sense of entrepreneurial leadership as a person. You've got to understand what drives you, what makes you tick, what are you willing to do, not willing to do, but ultimately be willing to face the challenges that come your way. And it's easy to say that you would do that because you've got this entrepreneurial idea, but it's only when you're in the moment when this big boulders coming towards you where you realize whether or not you can do it. So entrepreneurial leadership for me is, you know, be the leader inside of you. Brilliant. And it's not for everybody. And that is okay. There's nothing wrong with going, you entrepreneur guys, I've tried a bit of that. You're all crazy. I love you. And call me when you need a COO. But right now I'm going to leave you to it for a few years. Nothing <laughs> wrong with that. That's, that's all. I mean, I've realized I thought I was the entrepreneur that I thought I was. But through experience, I've realized the type of entrepreneur that I am. And I'm comfortable with that. Very, very comfortable with that because I can see the result of me executing on that versus me trying to be the entrepreneur that society says you ought to be. <laughs> um, but it takes time and it takes it takes maturity and it takes evolution to understand who you are, what you're about. But it's also understanding that you'll never start learning about who you are. So I implore, you know, anyone who's listened to this podcast, just just do you. Just do you. It's as simple as that. On that note, thank you, Joel. That's been fantastic. You've been listening to Vicky Brock and Joel Blake, this week's Entrepreneur Agony Aunts. As ever, you can submit your question at vickybrock.com slash podcast. Mm -hmm.